This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening, this is Inside Story with Sharmila Ganesan and Lee Chui Lin. Tonight, we're talking about the tragedy and triumph of Malaysia's recent Everest mission. So we're going to be speaking with veteran mountaineer T. Ravi Chandran, who was a member of the recent expedition, about the experience and why people continue to dream of conquering Everest. So tell us, have you ever dreamt of climbing Mount Everest? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, tweet us at BFM Radio, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. That's our U mobile number. This is Inside Story. It is six oh nine, and. Um, it's it's been a, a series of quite tragic headlines, right? So Lieutenant Colonel Awang Askandar Ampuan Yakub, who was fifty six years old, died last Friday as he was making his final ascent on Mount Everest during the Malaysia Everest twenty twenty three or ME twenty twenty three mission. He was the Malaysian Civil Defence Forces Kedah director, um, and it's reported that he encountered health problems while at a height of eight thousand meters above sea level. Sherpas tried to get him back to Camp Four when he became ill after climbing past the south summit. It, but he died before he could reach the camp, according to the Himalayan Times. Now, this is um, one part of what has happened, but there is also an ongoing search. Yes, because another mountaineer, Muhammad Hawari Hashim, was reported missing on the same day and uh, he had successfully reached the peak of Mount Everest. He is hearing impaired and he reportedly left Camp 4 alone early in the morning without the knowledge of the Sherpa. So Camp 4 is clearly a, a crucial space uh, for us to understand what happened, where it happened, and it's actually the final base prior to the ascent to the summit, so it's the last spot. Um, now, a search and rescue mission is currently underway, with the Youth and Sports Ministry channeling 1.48 million ringgit to hire professional Sherpas and helicopters to conduct the search. Youth and Sports Ministry, SecGen, Dr. Dr. K. Nagulendran said that the mission would have to end by the 28th of May, so that is by Sunday, uh, due to the adverse weather conditions on the mountain, saying that the search would be challenging, not just because of the terrain and weather, but also because Hawari lives with a disability, and therefore he wouldn't be able to hear the shouts of people looking for him, and he may not be able to shout out himself, and therefore uh, the search for him would be conducted only by sight, and at night it would become even more complicated. So I said a series of uh, tragic headlines and that's because within that same week, there has been another missing climber from Singapore, 39-year-old Srinivas Sainis Datatraya, who also reached the summit on Friday and then while update, when updating his wife via text about reaching the peak, he said that he had high-altitude cerebral edema, which is a severe high-altitude illness that could prove fatal um, and he is also missing. So... All of this to say, um, you know, we know climbing Everest um, is one of those things that um, is rightfully a huge achievement, something that many people dream of. However, I think these stories also indicate the real danger that is involved in performing this feat. No, and, and this is something that you, you read about and we, we think about, you hear about in documentaries. And I, I think part of the reason why we wanted to do this show is because it's one thing for those of us who will never do this. And, and Sharmila, you and I have spoken about this. We don't want to do this. We're, we're not likely to do it. No, we're not going to do it in our lifetimes. It's fair to say. Safe to say, point. yes. Um, and, and so it's something that for those of us who don't plan to do it, um, who don't practice to do it, the danger is very abstract. Of course, we understand it in terms of human lives. Um, you hear the averages around five climbers die um, on, on the mountain every spring. There are all these, um, you know, you hear it reported. But it's quite different, I think, to know it intellectually and quite another thing to know it and then to continue to pursue the the feat nonetheless to kind of train and live alongside the understanding that this is something that people use the word people use words like death defying but this is actually something that 
that hits that mark. And um, and yeah, I, I think we just wanted to kind of explore explore that, you know, the fact that people know this is a dangerous and difficult thing to do, but that nonetheless it remains it remains a touchstone for so many people. People say all the time, you know, my personal Everest, or there's an understanding of what the feat means. Mm, there's a public fascination, I think, with um, this incredible feat of human achievement, right? And it's 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 been that way, I think, uh, for as long as people have been recording these sorts of achievements. Um, so that's really what we're going to we're, we're going to uh, talk about um, these. Uh, you know, on the one hand, a death, uh, a Malaysian who's missing, but on the other hand, also this constant fascination in the draw of climbing Mount Everest. Um, we will be speaking after this with T. Ravichandran, who has also just returned from his 2023 uh, uh, expedition, um, and he is a veteran mountaineer. But we want to hear from you. Have you ever dreamt of climbing Mount Everest? Do you understand the fascination the mountain holds in the public imagination? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Breakfast for Masters, BFM 89.9. It is 6.15. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And we're talking about um, a, a sad story for the Malaysian mountaineering community. Lieutenant Colonel Awang Askanda Ampuan Yaakob passed away last Friday while making his final ascent on Mount Everest. Meanwhile, Muhammad Hawari Hashim remains missing. There's a search party ongoing for that. Um, so... Essentially, we are talking about this goal, this dream of climbing Mount Everest. We are asking you, have you ever dreamt of climbing it? Do you understand the fascination the mountain holds in the public imagination? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now on the line is T. Ravichandran, who has just returned from his 2023 Himalayan Sports Everest Lhotse expedition. His goal was to set a record as the first Malaysian climber to conquer the summit of Mount Lhotse after raising the flag at the peak of Mount Everest within 24 hours. Ravi is also a veteran mountaineer. Ravi, thanks for speaking with us today. Hi. Hi. So this marks the fourth time that you've reached the peak of Mount Everest. Um, it must feel particularly bittersweet, right, considering this tragic loss of Lieutenant Colonel Awang, the ongoing search for Mohamed Hawari. Tell us how you're feeling. Well, um, it was just normal uh, as usual, uh, just like the first to third. Uh, but um, on the 17th, after I reached the summit of uh, Everest, 17 May, uh, as I was coming down, I was uh, could not make it for my uh, Mount Lhotse, the second number fourth highest mountain, which is next to it. Uh, I wanted to do it in 24 hours, two peaks. Um, which I could not do it. So I was rescued and brought to the uh, hospital on the 18th May. Uh, while resting at the hospital, I thought, okay, at least I managed to do Everest. And, you know, um, a little bit sad here and there, and a little bit frostbite, uh, having a little bit of uh, coughing issues and so on. Then after that, on the 19th, I get some bad news saying that... Um, uh, you know, uh, on the 18, there was uh, much more tragic things happening up there where we have lost um, two of our climbers. Yeah, and um, that 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 brought down the whole morale of this. Uh, you know, uh, standing on the summit of Everest for the fourth time. Yeah, and knowing that uh, you know them, that was really very sad. And knowing that you. Uh, Hike, we climb with them from camp one to camp two, you know, share the same cafe, share same, you know, food with them for a few uh, moments. So that was not really exciting. So it was um, started uh, normal, started uh, usual. After that, slowly moved into, uh, you know, um, joy. Uh, we're reaching the summit. After that, everything went down to the drain where everything went down in terms of morale, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, confidence level and, and so on. But I, I know it, on the 18, it was tough. Uh, on the 18, the weather uh, was not as kind as what we expected. We expected a very good um, uh, weather, but uh, suddenly things changed. 
right? And um, and uh, both of them are, are fantastic people from what I know, from when I met them at the base camp, Elvis base camp. And they used to visit our bakery for tea and coffee and, you know, and uh, we had, uh, I think, few days of uh, togetherness uh, at the place. So at that time, it was full of uh, joy. We were all very confident. We were all on a positive note. So it was so nice. Um, so I hope uh, at least uh, they will be able to uh, have a very good closure and find Awari safely, if possible. But if it's not, say, uh, you know, even worst comes to worst situation, at least they will find him. So at least uh, um, we can have a good closure for this season. Right? On the 20th, I'm already back in Malaysia, uh, going to continue with my treatment and I'm resting now. Right? Slowly, things are improving. Yeah? I wanted to pick up on something that you mentioned, which is, um, you know, kind of the, the changing the dangers of the weather, basically, and how quickly things can shift. Yeah. And this is something we hear about Everest. How does that knowledge impact the way missions are planned and executed? Well, um, we all know the weather is very extreme at uh, 8,000 meters, yeah? above 8,000 meters. Things can change in a matter of minutes. But usually we will uh, wait for the best weather, uh, the low wind condition. And also at least uh, two to three days of good weather for us to reach the summit and come back home safely. So that's what the weather forecast that we depend on. And almost everyone there are using the same weather forecast. So that's why this year we had big traffic jam because we had about 500 plus permits applied. So during a good weather, especially on the 17th, we had a long uh, queue and it was a long summit. The first time in uh, in my uh, experience, I reached the summit of Everest at 12 noon, usually 8, 9, you know, uh, 7.30 like that. But this time was very late because of the long queue. It's okay. I mean, we accept it. We know uh, that's the best, most ideal time, 17. And um, on the 18, uh, when I was uh, coming down, going towards the second mountain, uh, things changed suddenly. So that's how extreme it is. From uh, uh, 25 kilometers per hour wind, suddenly the wind changed to 40 kilometers per hour and the temperature will drop from minus 30 to minus 50. You know? And uh, this is where our energy level will drop, our oxygen we need to increase and those who don't have any oxygen or those who still use minimum oxygen, what will happen that they will have frostbite to their you know, organs, toes, fingers, nose, ears, and so on. So these are some of the things that will happen. And this year we had a bad weather change, very quick weather change. Uh, the helicopter have to send people in and out, in and out, back to Kathmandu for hospital, for treatment, for this, for that. Mostly is for frostbite. Yeah? So that's why that, that shows how uh, the conditions can change very fast in the mountains. Yeah. How do you keep all this in mind during the training process and even on the climb? What do you have to be prepared for? Well, we weather forecast is one of the aspects that we look at. But we also look at a few other aspects of preparation. One is, of course, overall physical preparation. Because even when the weather change, if you're physically strong, you're physically good, we can rush you down as soon as possible. Right, so that's how crucial uh, physical fitness, physical preparation is. The second part is the technical knowledge. Some of them uh, sometimes they don't even hardly have any knowledge of uh, even using equipment, crampons for the first time. They're putting on crampon. They've never been to any six thousand meter, eight thousand meter, or seven thousand meter. It is so dangerous. So equipment and technical training is also very necessary. Because why? With a good technical knowledge, when the weather change, right, we can rush down as soon as possible. And everything will be quick. Everything will be moving fast when you have the right technical skill. So that's also very, very important. Now, the third one is the mindset. 
The mindset is how we prepare people by bringing to 6,000 to 7,000 to get them ready to face a real challenge with strong wind, uh, strong gush wind, you know, pushing you down, uh, avalanche left and right, uh, cold, suddenly deep snow, you have to, you know, as, as deep as your waist. So these are some of the training that we do to prepare them in their mindset. The last part is this weather thing. The weather thing is something that we cannot train you, right? We just have to hope that the day that we decide to go to a summit, uh, the weather will be kind to us. And that's what we always hope for. So the training part, the three first aspects that I mentioned just now are very crucial, which we can do in Malaysia. Also, we'll do in uh, places where they have 6,000 meter mountains, 7,000 meter mountains to get them ready. Right, that's a part about preparation. So the truth is that many of us um, will not have the opportunity or, or perhaps even the inclination to attempt this. Um, what is it about Everest that keeps people coming back or, or keeps it as a goal for people year after year? What, what calls out to you as somebody who has submitted it more than once? Well, it's a, it's a symbol of uh, what we call this challenge. Uh, it's a symbol that uh, shows that uh, uh, who you are, um, you know, it'll show your uh, description of your, in terms of uh, fitness, physical condition, uh, and so on. So I do this on a regular basis. It's partly because I make other people's dream come true. I guide people. I take people up there to reach their summit and so on. This year, I will do it for my Himalaya Sports Malaysia, uh, the sports candy. All right. So I do for them this year, uh, representing brand. Yeah. But last year, I brought clients. And uh, this is what I do, making other people's dream come true. So this year, we make a dream come true for Himalaya Sports Malaysia, putting their banner on the summit and also various other sponsors. Yeah. Uh, who participated in this program. So uh, going there uh, again and again, uh, it not just inspires uh, the brands, the people, clients that we guide and so on, but from time to time, it also gives us that, uh, that's that, that feeling of accomplishment, feeling of saying that, hey, you are still best. You are still at good. Uh, state of condition, physical condition, and, and so on. So that, that's fun. But this year, uh, I was doing something. Maybe I pushed my limit. I pushed it too much, I guess so. Doing wanted to do both in 24 hours. Um, I wanted to try something new for for Southeast Asia. So, you know, so hope I will repeat again this on year 2025. Ravi, what's, we have um, just about two minutes left. What sort of review is needed from this year's expedition to reduce the risk of the same things happening again next time? Well, I think all the teams, uh, number one is that they have to make sure that all their members are well prepared, have gone through proper training, have gone through proper experiencing training in up to about 7,000 meters, right? No more like those days, yeah, those days, we bring people only up to 6,200 meters and we bring them to the summit of Mount Everest. Now it looks like we have to increase a little bit more of our uh, training, of our preparation and make sure that they are prepared for 7,000, they are prepared for 30 to 40 kilometers per hour wind condition and also a temperature dropping from minus 30 to minus 60. So these are all things that we have to get put into our training and get our clients and members or friends ready before we take them for Everest. So Everest this year showed to us no mercy. Everest this year showed to everybody that don't play with Everest again. It is not as simple as it used to be. Now, because of the global warming happening all surrounding us, things are changing very fast. Things are becoming very extreme. So the preparation also have to be very extreme and well prepared. That, that's my uh, uh, angle. Uh, that's what I learned from this year's uh, mission. And I hope uh, next year, if anybody joining me or in the year 2025, I'll make sure that they are well prepared. Ravi, thanks for speaking with us today. Sure, it's an honour.
That was national solo climber T. Ravi Chandran, a veteran mountaineer himself, um, helping us really understand uh, what the situation in Mount Everest is like. Uh, let us know. Have you ever dreamt of climbing it? Do you understand the fascination the mountain holds in the public imagination? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Breaking Financial Matters, BFM 89.9. It is 6.38. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And uh, we're talking about... um, the uh, earlier we called it the tragedy and triumph in Mount Everest, and, and I think that really is the, the the two aspects of our story today, right? Because um, on the one hand, the achievement of making it there, summiting Mount Everest, but on the other, Lieutenant Colonel Awang Askanda Ampuan Yakub um, passed away last Friday while making that final ascent. Uh, Muhammad Hawari Hashim is still missing. Uh, search and rescue is ongoing. He had already summited um, and then went missing. So um, this. This essentially led us to talking about this perennial fascination that we seem to have with Mount Everest, um, as well as the challenges involved in that process. We've been asking you, have you ever dreamt of climbing Mount Everest? Do you understand the fascination the mountain holds in the public imagination? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. So we said earlier on that neither of us are likely to actually attempt this, right, or to be part of a mission, and I stand by that. But I think the reason why I I wanted to talk about this and and why I asked that is because I've seen a lot of Everest documentaries and read a lot of reporting and articles and long-form articles, actually, about Everest and about the attempts and the complications and um, just the the feeling of wanting to summit. And I'm always fascinated by how many people have a singular dream. Um, the, our guest we spoke to earlier, T. Ravi Chandran, who has ascended Everest four times, said that, said that there is... Um, it is, I think he said, it's a symbol of achievement. Um, it's a symbol of overcoming a challenge. And he also described the work he does as making people's dreams come true. And I'm quite fascinated by that because I think for most of us, I, I suspect for many of us, when we first hear, because it's one of those pieces of general knowledge or trivia, right? You find that out. Like, what's the biggest continent? Where is the... Where's the largest ocean? What's the largest body of water, the largest waterfall? You know, when you're a kid, you're fascinated by this idea of largest, highest, tallest, biggest. And because of that, I think Everest always just occupies a very particular spot in people's minds. Well, alongside that, of course, who's the first person to have ever climbed Everest, right? Um, Well, well, hold on. Edmund Hillary or actually Tenzing Norgay. Um, But my point being, there is a... There is a fascination and adulation associated with this journey, this process, that I think inevitably shapes um, that idea. Um, and and it, it, again, it is something that perhaps is not for me, but I think I understand the the pull of something that uh, you feel is a goal you've set for yourself, the pull of being uh, in a part of the world that feels untamed, uh, untouched by human civilization, that it, that requires so much work to get there. Um, and, and I think that really is the, the two halves of all of this, right? We know that it's difficult, um, but we also know that there is a kind of magic associated with this. So we've gotten a couple of messages that really contrast one another. Um, I'm going to start with one from Mizi. Mizi says, I'm not an outdoor type and I won't climb any mountain voluntarily. Um, I love the voluntarily as if somebody could force you up a mountain. Um, But the first time I saw Mount Kinabalu from inside a moving tour bus, it really sort of took my breath away. In that split second, I could understand why some of my quote-unquote crazy friends had trained for months to climb it. Something just caught in my throat. In fact, I bruised my knee against the coach's chair trying to snap photos of the different majestic angles of Kinabalu. But I'm too timid to leave the comfort or safety of level ground. I did feel enchanted by the sight, as corny as it sounds. Maisie, I love that. And, and I think I um, I identify with that too, as someone who also cannot imagine uh, voluntarily wanting to do this, however, can completely understand that that feeling in your heart when you see something so majestic. 
So actually, I have seen uh, Mount Kinabalu and fairly close up um, in a spot that was, you know, around the Kundasang area, but where if you wake up at just the right time, you get a really up-close look at at the peak. And I, I understand this feeling. I travelled to see Everest, not climb it, but to see it, um, because my father has always had a fascination with the place, so we wanted him to be able to be close to the mountain for his birthday. Uh, we were up in the, the mountains in Nepal, and the clouds never parted. <laughs> we oh. just like, went all the way. And then on the day, it was just a really, really cloudy, foggy day. Um, but I, I understand this feeling of, like you're, like you're saying, right, looking upon something and simultaneously feeling a fascination for it while also thinking... It's not for me and that's fine. Well, um, we did say contrasting messages. Uh, CYY is saying unnecessary risk, unnecessary deaths. Okay, so um, I've heard this before, right? And I've heard this before. I think that whenever I think about this, I I always wonder who, who gets to say this. I guess, you know, who gets to determine what is unnecessary for others? Because if, in fact, it is the thing you want to do, then, and it's and it's kind of this big collective dream. And I, I don't know, I'm not sure how to think about that. Because on the flip side of that, um, there is also, and this is just fact, right? It has nothing to do with the mission. It has nothing to do if you are currently training for Everest. It doesn't have anything to do with that. But... We also know that the conditions on the mountain are changing. Um, there are also ongoing worries about safety because of the terrain of the mountain. Um, the government of Nepal, for instance, is constantly kind of grappling with how many people they can permit to summit. So I, I see where you're coming from, CYY, although I, I'm, I'm just not sure we get to say that. And I think there are actually a number of uh, activities, extreme sports and so on, where one could make that same argument. And I will say that hearing uh, Ravi Chandran speak earlier, he kept repeating, prepare, you need to be prepared, you need to have precautions in place. But he also said that the reality is, despite all of that, um, there are things that you cannot plan for, that there are things that uh, you have to contend with when they're there. And the only way to be able to know what to do is to prepare. So I do think that if you've done as much as you can, um, then it really becomes a personal choice, right? Uh, how much someone is willing to do to reach this goal they've set for themselves. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Although, again, um, so we were discussing this on the desk out of the studio mm. with Sharad. Um, and Sharad, you know, in conversation had a lot of kind of the concerns that I was talking about a little bit earlier, right? Which is the the environmental question, the impact of tourism on the mountain and of safety, the question of money. So, I mean, these are things worth exploring. Keep those thoughts coming. We will continue the conversation after this. Have you ever dreamt of climbing Mount Everest? Do you understand the fascination the mountain holds in the public imagination? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Breathe freely, Malaysians. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is just coming up to 6.50. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And we are talking about um, climbing Mount Everest, particularly given the um, very tragic headlines that have come out of um, the mountaineering community climbing Mount Everest in the last week. So we've been asking you whether you've ever dreamt of climbing it. Do you understand the fascination it holds in the public imagination? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. So um, let's talk about some local local peaks um, because Ron says Mount Kinabalu has been good enough for me summited four times congratulations Ron that is that is quite an achievement um, yeah I mean I, I think that um, look I've already confessed that this is one not something I'm inclined to second very aware I'm not capable of it either so whenever I hear of people doing it I'm usually filled with a lot of admiration 
Uh, I actually dream of doing Kinabalu. So I, I I would not dare to think about Everest. Um, I have not since I was, I don't know, maybe 10 when, when dreaming <laughs> these sorts of things makes sense. Like, yeah, I'm going to swim the English Channel. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, so, but Kinabalu, I, I once heard uh, someone, I, I think a Sabahan, say that, you know, to be any true born Sabahan needs to climb Kinabalu at least once. And I think about that from time to time. Like maybe this is a dream that most that Malaysians should aspire to because I think that it is something that you hear even among people who don't typically climb or hike or trek. Um, Kinabalu still does hold that kind of position. Nini says, during my teenage years and early 20s, I went to uh, Penang Hill on a weekly basis with my mum and then went to Bukit Gasing while in PJ. But as years go by, the ambition to climb Mount Kinabalu diminished, let alone conquering the wonderful Everest. Oh, yeah. Um, So this is interesting, right? Because I think that I was wondering when we would start hearing from people who regularly hike, um, because I, I suspect that the dream is perhaps more prevalent or more realistic among people who do actually, on a regular basis, go up, maybe not mountains, but certainly hills, um, and, and hills that are challenging. And I love hearing about people who regularly used to climb Penang Hill, because this is such a Penang thing. I hear about it all the time. People who used to like run it or, or hike it on a regular basis. Uh, IT on Twitter says, I get the draw of climbing mountains, uh, such mountains, especially Everest, but personally, I wouldn't undertake such a feat. For me, I'd stick to local peaks such as Bukit Tabo for one which has taken some lives itself. Mm, I think about Bukit Tabo from time to time. I also think about uh, Gunung Tahan. Uh, I think that that's another Mm. one that people consider very challenging. Uh, People talk about Mount Rinjani, of course, not in Malaysia, but much closer to home. So, yeah, I guess we have been talking about Everest, but I... Okay, so what have we been asking? We've been asking people um, whether they've ever dreamed of climbing Everest and whether they understand, you know, whether you understand the kind of fascination with it. Now, I, I'd like to expand that partly to ask, what's the highest peak you've climbed? If that's the second story of your house, that's also okay. I just, I just want to know kind of, you know, when we talk about climbing things, conquering things... Depending on where we are, you know, um, what those hopes and dreams are. E-Macro says, Climb Mount Everest? No, thank you. My life is too precious. If one is ordinary, climbing Mount Everest won't make one extraordinary. Won't it? I, so I, I, get, I get the point, E-Macro. I, I really do. I think, that, um, I think that at more cynical times in my life, I've, I've also thought this, uh, particularly for extreme sports. But in truth, doesn't an achievement like climbing Everest make one extraordinary? It doesn't have to make you extraordinary in every aspect of your life, but it does put you in a small club. It does. Um, I think it inspires people, certainly. Um, When Malaysians first scaled Everest, you know, it it was quite a story that everyone talked about. So... um, I I hesitate to make that connection. I also think that... um, I also think that just because it's not a dream that's for us, it doesn't mean that it's 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 not a dream for other people and that we can't take inspiration from a kind of feat uh, that someone else is able to perform. Um, keep your thoughts coming. We're getting uh, some very interesting thoughts already. But we are asking you, have you ever dreamt of climbing Mount Everest? What is that fascination the mountain holds for the public? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note, or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio, BFM eighty nine point nine. Brewing frothy mocha, BFM eighty nine point nine, the business station. It is 7.07. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. We are talking about Mount Everest and summiting uh, Mount Everest, essentially, because of a series of um, sad headlines that we've all been reading in the past week. Um, just to just to go through it again, Lieutenant Colonel Awang Askandar Ampuan Yaakob died last Friday as he was making the final ascent on Mount Everest. Meanwhile, Muhammad Hawari Hashim remains missing. Um, After successfully reaching the peak, uh, search and rescue operations are still ongoing. So 
we've used um, that um, and and learnt about what it's like really to be there. We heard earlier from veteran mountaineer T. Ravichandran. But we're asking you, have you ever dreamt of climbing Mount Everest? And um, what's the highest peak that you've climbed? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We have a number of messages. We do. So, uh, okay, let's start with the Mount K folks because quite a number of people, understandably, have climbed Mount Kinabalu. And uh, okay, Sonia says, I think it's an innate desire to conquer things metaphorically and literally. Everest, as it's the highest, represents the pinnacle of achievement. It's not the hardest. That's K two, which which is a distinction. I mm. think. Thank you, Sonia, because I think that's a that's an interesting distinction that people tend to make. Um, anyway, Sonia goes on. I have climbed Mount K before. Um, before I've climbed Mount K, before I did it, I thought, what's the big deal? But if you're lucky to reach the summit, the feeling is indescribable. The main feeling you get is grateful. You're so humbled. So many things need to go right for you to be able to make it externally, internally. Altitude sickness, weather, a random slip, you can get seriously injured. Needless to say, I did not continue hiking. Now climbing three floors from the car park to the lobby is an achievement. Well, Good for you, Sonia. Um, I, I mean, I think the fact that you did Mount Kinabalu in itself is worthy of being celebrated. Uh, Rudine is also saying, we also climbed Mount Kinabalu four, time, uh, four times, my wife three times, me once. Paru says, I've scaled Mount Kinabalu and it was awesome. But Mount Everest, I don't think so. Uh, all these 8,000 metre peaks are holy mountains not to be stepped on. The Tibetans are strongly against this for a reason. So um, that brings us back, I think, to... We've been talking about this from a very kind of personal achievement point of view um, and that's because of the the story that we began with, right? We're not doing a sort of general Everest deep dive. But if we were, I think all of these things uh, are so important to discuss, like we've been talking about traffic, uh, significance, whether these things will continue to be doable for people in the years to come because of the actions that we're taking now. Local sentiment, right, which was brought up in that oh, message yes. earlier. Uh, Nepal and, and, and you know, people, uh, the Nepal government also has strong views and opinions about how they want to manage this process. Oh, also Sherpas are quitting. So, yes. um, and this is something that they've been talking about, right? Because fundamentally, ascending Mount Everest requires the Sherpas. And um, I was reading this report about how people who have been doing it, people who have been Sherpas generationally, who've been doing it for ages, are now having to, to let go of it because it's simply too dangerous and um, they can't make a living out of it. And, and, and I found that very sad. So we've been asking people what, um, you know, perhaps not Everest, but what was the highest peak that they've uh, managed to summit? Uh, and we have a number of people sharing their thoughts as well. So Vincent says, highest peak radio station on uh, radio station on Kledang, Kledang? Kledang, Kledang. range in Pera. The, there was a weird underline under it, so I thought perhaps it was wrong. Just a Google thing. Uh, I have a soft spot for Kledang because as, as I've mentioned before, when my father was a boy, he used to bike up it and he used to tell the most hair-raising stories about coming all the way down. So because of that, Kledang has a little bit of a mythological place in my brain as well. I, I keep thinking that it's, a, it's like a difficult peak. I have not climbed it. I've driven up it, um, mm. but that's that's maybe something I should do for like, you know, familial reasons. Uh, staying in the state, we have Mizi, who first says, Batu Caves, in my younger days, um, <laughs> oh, I forgot, the inside of uh, Sampo Cave, part of Berak Caves at the age of 15, foolishly being egged on by my cousins, nearly couldn't come back down because the legs turned into jelly, and that is why I wouldn't voluntarily climb any mountain, which Mizi had said earlier. <laughs> yeah, um, jelly legs is also why I don't think I would voluntarily climb any mountain. Oh, actually, I wanted to talk about this a little bit, um, which is the distinction between um, ascending and descending. So I, I've i always thought that ascending is something that would be possible for me, that I could do. Um, Mount Kinabalu I'm talking about. But I do actually have a fear of heights. And I think that with ascending, because you're constantly heading upwards and your goal remains looking up, that you could do it. Um, via Ferrata, forget it. I've never, ever considered that. But um, because you ascend in darkness and descend in daylight, 
that's the part. I have a recurring nightmare of being the person who holds everyone up because I froze. We have Madi saying, I have climbed Bukit Kledang in Ipoh in 1958 when I was in Standard 4, ACS Ipoh. There you go. Bukit Kledang represents. So yes, uh, a continuing a continuing shout out to the, the hills and caves of Ipoh, which I'm very glad to hear. Let's see. I think, okay, some people not really on the side of so much climbing, I would say. Uh, Munif says, my soul leaves my body twice a day whenever <laughs> I climb the stairs to my faculty back in uni. Can't fathom climbing the highest peak ever. Big props to those who dare to dare to dream and dare to do. Agreed. I mean, I, I think um, some people don't feel big props, which we will uh, come back and explore a little bit later. But, but I agree. I also am curious, Munif, why did you climb the stairs? Were you convinced by the messaging? Like, you know how a lot of buildings will have like, hi, if you climb, you burn X amount of calories. <laughs> or, you know, doing this is equivalent to 30 seconds on the treadmill. <laughs> like, I want to know whether those things worked for you or whether it was just that there was no lift. Uh, well, Munif is saying faculty and uni. I have been to some older university buildings where some departments, especially to the second floor, they're just no at lifts. Yeah. Mm, so I, I, I'm just curious because I remember looking at a staircase the other day and they were proudly, this staircase was proudly telling me that if I climbed it, I would have burnt seven calories. And I thought to myself, I wish you hadn't told me that. <laughs> now I want to like spitefully not do it. Um, speaking of, Tsai says, no desire to do any climbing anywhere. Uh, the only mountains I need are the couch and my bed and the bosoms of my significant other. Heh. <laughs> I've been dying to read this message since we received it. Sai, you do you, but I think I do need a break after that message. Um, keep your thoughts coming. We are asking you, uh, have you ever dreamt of climbing Mount Everest? Or put another way, what's the highest peak you've climbed? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us and keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. Bribe free Malaysia, BFM 89.9, the business station. It's 7.17. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. We are closing off our conversation on uh, this dream to climb Mount Everest. And so we're asking you, have you ever done have you ever done it? Well, yes, we'd like to hear from you if you have. I mean, yes. <laughs> but have you ever dreamt of climbing Mount Everest? Um, or what's the highest peak you have climbed? Share with us. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We have um let's see, we have a few messages. Uh we have a few messages that are still coming in. We do. So um, let's start with Naga, who says, Is it personal glory and public adu adulation that these people seek in attempting to climb Everest? I do not know the reason. Common sense says it's a no-no. The risks involved are far greater than any benefits, if there are any. Such an attempt confers. Certainly not my cup of tea. So Naga, I, I think that that last sentence is key because it, it might not be your cup of tea and it really doesn't have to be. Um, but I I feel that I don't I don't know. Personally I don't think it's fair to assume that everybody who climbs Everest is doing it for personal glory and public adulation, especially because ever since the first few people, let's say, climbed Everest. Uh, at this point now, it is an exclusive club, yes. Um, but people do it, right? So I actually think it really does have more to do with with wanting to overcome things or wanting to be able to say you've achieved something. Um, and, you know, common sense, it varies, right, depending on what you actually, what your goals in life are. I think personal goal, personal limits is fair. Personal glory, I think, is is it, it might differ from individual to individual. Um, but on that point about is it really worth doing, we do have a voice note. This is Lee. I myself have climbed Kinabalu before and I'm very impressed with the dedication and uh, effort these people have uh, put into to climb something like Everest. Uh, the issue I have is that they put themselves 
into mortal danger they know the situation they are getting into and if anything happens others would have to risk their life resources time energy effort to rescue them lee thank you for that um i hear what you're saying but i wonder whether i wonder whether that's not very different from actually a, a number of other extreme this sort of um uh, stamina, boundary uh, breaking endeavor. Yeah, um, I, I get that. I think that in this case, the, the the issue perhaps is, and this is something that we didn't talk about, is money, right? Because it's a costly endeavor. And then subsequently, rescue missions or, or anything um, ends up being rather costly. We we had a message much earlier on that we didn't get to also um, from Lee Jun, who was talking about, so what happens when people unfortunately pass? And and. In the case of um, our our Malaysian, he's back down um, and being flown back to to Sabah. But in general, many people are, are left on the mountain. So I, I I hear you, and I think that I don't know. You're right, Sharmila. I guess it's a question of when we say resources, um, whether we consider that these resources are in fact really finite, um, or whether this is then taking it away from something else. We have uh, another voice note that's come in. This is from Daniel. Uh, well, I started climbing mountains at the age of 15 years old. On our own, all 15 years old, Gunoleda, uh, 40 over years ago. And I have not stopped climbing mountains. Uh, one of the toughest ones is Gunung Tahan. And of course, I also scaled uh, Kinabalu. Uh, condolences to uh, our, our fellow Malaysians that... Uh, Daniel, thank you for sharing. Um, That sounds like a wonderful experience though for you. Yes. Um, By the way, I'm glad that the distinction with Tahan is coming up again because um, Andrew says, the highest peak I've done is Mount K. The hardest peak is Mount Tahan, even though it is only 2,187 metres, which is you know, just a little less than half of Mount K. But Gunung Tahan comes up over and over and over again as difficult. I, I've i never tried it, um, but I've just heard enough from people. <laughs> so we have a couple of people um, making a point about the... Phil- I, I want to say that both the language and perhaps yeah. the philosophy behind scaling, summiting Mount Everest. So Janice says, I wouldn't say it's about conquering the mountain. Spending an extended period of time with the mountain changes you. It is not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. Uh, Sir Edmund Hillary said that. Uh, Pass the Thorung La Pass at 5,416 metres as part of going around the Annapurna mountain range. Well, uh, that's that's quite an achievement, Janice. Thank you for sharing. And I agree, actually. The 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 metaphor of saying we conquered the mountain, I think, is just a grand way of lauding the achievement. I don't think we necessarily mean it literally. Uh, well, Surin says, just because you climbed it, can you really say you conquered it? It sounds a little belittling to whatever it is that you climbed. And um, so I think this is maybe the theme of today is really horses for courses, right? Because we've heard from people who are like, I climb nothing. Okay, like I barely climb into my car. We've heard from people like that. And then we've also heard from Janice, who has done 5,416 metres. So I don't personally love the language of conquered. I think if I did it, it's not what I would use. Um, I do think for some people, it's what gets you through. You know, (laughs) it's what keeps you going. For some people, the notion of conquering is, is an important one or is valuable to them. And that's fine. We have a, another voice note. This is Tafim. Hello, Tafim here. So the tallest mountain that I have climbed uh, is Mount Batur. This is in Indonesia. It's a volcano, an active volcano. And I think it's around 1,700 meters. Not the highest, but it did take around three to four hours to get up. Uh, it was much faster to go down, but yeah, your knees will hate you for the next few days after that and the reason it was such a memorable climb was because I went with my wife to Indonesia and we had no plans to hike let alone climb a mountain right and it was a very last minute plan 
And within a few hours, we were like, okay, we're going to do it. And at 3 a.m. at night, we were heading to the mountain. It, it was an exciting time. And yeah, it, it was an experience, remember, which kind of motivated us to then, you know, think about climbing Mount Kinabalu. But yeah, it never happened. So yeah. Tafheem, thank you for sharing. Uh, firstly, congratulations to you and your wife. It sounds like such a such a lovely shared experience to have. It does, but also this last minuteness is amazing, right? This, this notion of like, we weren't planning to do it and then we did it anyway. I mean, that part I just skipped over because I wouldn't even do it with long-term planning. I'm like, <laughs> who are these people who do it like on a whim? relatively fit people who brought shoes along. Who might bring shoes. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, So, okay, we've been talking, we mentioned money. Uh, Ping says, it's my dream to hike Everest, but it's too expensive. It costs around 50 to 100k uh, US dollars in order to be able to do it. So Ping, I think this is why people end up doing it with a lot of sponsorship um, more often Mm. than not. But I was also reading about how people who live in the shadow of Everest um, and who are therefore perhaps not the most financially advantaged, um, especially in terms of currency and the like, how for for them, sometimes it's a one-shot thing that, you know, it's, it's something that you you save a lot of money for, that you buy your gear secondhand, that you do all these things um, in order to be able to to climb it, which I think, again, is just really, I'm just reflecting on your point, which is that it is very costly, which Yvonne is also saying. Yeah, so Yvonne is saying, I hike regularly and truly dream of hiking Everest, but know that I don't have the ability. I've been up Kinabalu five times and just came back from the Annapurna Base Camp, 4,130 metres, three weeks ago. Yvonne, thank you for that. Um, I'm really intrigued by that because because you are a regular hiker and then you say, I know I don't have the ability. And I was thinking about that um, from the perspective of our guest earlier, T. Ravi Chandran, who has climbed Everest four times and whose work includes him bringing people up, right? And when we asked him about the dangers, he said, yeah, weather, sure. But another part of it is that people are simply unprepared, that people don't know what it's going to be like, um, that, they're un- that they just don't expect that it will be this way. And so to hear from somebody who says, I would love to, but for my safety, I probably shouldn't. Um, it's such an interesting perspective. Tani, meanwhile, says, Mount Kinabalu for me, amazing experience. Would love to do it again. I understand why people want to summit Everest. That just about sums up our entire show, doesn't it? It does. Um, I did, though, want to close with uh, this message from Danielle because I think it brings together um, the, the starting point as well as that that um, draw that we've been talking about. So Danielle says, I'm hoping to climb Mount Everest one day. The idea of persevering and training for a specific goal, especially with a community of people with the same goals, feels spiritual to me. People talk about the mountain's magic, the mountain's magic, and that's something I want to experience, whatever it means. That saying, I do understand the tremendous risk that people take in doing this. Extremely saddened about the news of the Everest climbers. Can't imagine what the families are feeling. I hope they find Hawari soon. Me too. I think we all do. Keep your thoughts coming. You can call us. You can send us a voice note. You can WhatsApp us. You can tweet us. So keep it here on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.